The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, the creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. You guys all know I love an authentic, vulnerable, raw, and transparent conversation about mental health. And that's just what I have for you today. On this episode of Looking Up, I'm talking to Corinne Fox. She's an actress, a podcast host, the 2016 Miss Golden Globe, a very active mental health advocate, and recently added producer to her job title. One of the youngest and brightest, I may add. She also is the daughter of actor and singer Jamie Foxx and literally is debuting her new show, Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me on Netflix this week, starring her dad and based on her own diary. She shares with us what it was like being diagnosed with anxiety at the age of 14, partnering with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and while growing up as Jamie Foxx's daughter, the way people just expected her to become another tragic celebrity story and how she squashed that real fast. I can't wait for you to get to know Corinne and her resilient story. So we start the Looking Up podcast with a little entry segment that I like to call Looking In. And basically, it is just a series of some rapid fire style questions in which I get to know you a little more personally and our audience does as well. So without too much thought or judgment, the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, Corinne, has there been a book that you have read um, that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share with us the title. Yes. I read it recently, which is why I can remember the title. I have a terrible memory. I would never be able to remember anything I've read, but it was called The Heart of Buddhist Teachings by Thich Nhat Hanh. Never seen. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I had I'd never studied Buddhism before, but it came into my life at the right time. And it really created such a big shift for me in my perception of uh, actually a really tough situation that I was going through. So highly wreck that. His book, Touching Peace, is so good. And he Ooh. has these little travel size books that's like how to love, how to fight, how to there's like a bunch of different ones, but I'm like such a big big, big, big fan of his. I absolutely love his teachings and it's been something that I've been into for a really long time too. So I'm so glad you brought him up. Yes. No, I just discovered him. And so I'm going to have to check those out. Yes, absolutely. Okay. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. Hmm. I would say, I I would assume, I don't know how people see me, but I would think that maybe people see me as confident or self-assured. I do a lot of things that are outside of my comfort zone, especially being an introvert. So I feel like maybe, um, 
people from the outside looking in might think, wow, like she really just goes for it. But I'm really, I I have so much self-doubt and I really struggle from it so much. Even if I do something that scares me, know that right up until I have to actually do it, I'm considering pulling out at any second. <laughs> so I, I, I have a lot of self-doubt that I'm, I'm working through and it's part of the journey of life. That is such a good answer. Not that any answer is a bad answer, but I think that's just so important because so many times, I think we can all relate to that. And there's so few times that we're vulnerable enough to be like, hey, I have a lot of self-doubt. I feel mm-hmm. like that's something that's hidden. And I really wanted to delve into that more further into in this episode with you because I, I just think that's such an interesting answer. To be honest, I've been doing this for a little bit and you kind of get a pattern with some of the answers and nobody's really put it that way. I really like the way you worded it. You know, people think that maybe I exude confidence all the time and and actually I have a lot of self-doubt and and you still you you go through it. So I think I want to that is so on base for the topic of resiliency, which is what this podcast is all about. So I really want to jump into that I made a note for myself. Yeah. Um, okay, use three words to describe yourself as a teenager during your high school years. Oh, I was so not. Uh, Can be a word. Yeah, uh, is number one. No, I was so not cool in high school. I was, I was a goody two shoes. But I will say, I was really creative in my teenagehood, and I wrote and I like made videos, and I went to filmmaking camp, and so I was really creative. I was also like really. I don't, I don't know what the word is, uh, determined. Like I started the cheer squad at my school. Like I would like do things. I was a go-getter. And then I was also really shy and reserved as well, which were seemed like contradictory traits, but yeah. No, I, I totally get all of that. When is the last time that you cried? Oh God, every day. Um, <laughs> honestly, really cried was... This weekend, this past weekend with my boyfriend, I feel like I've been doing a good job in quarantine, like having my little routine and doing, and I feel like everything finally really, I had that breaking moment where I was like, I'm lonely. I miss my friends. I want to see my family. It'd been some time since the holidays. And I was just like, I just laid it all out. And my my boyfriend, he's, he's an angel and just like, was just holding me where I was like, I just need to cry it out. I just need to be sad about it. And then we can move on. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, talked about this before on this podcast and actually had a, a couple expert guests come in and we talked about the idea of literally crying being something that we actually prescribe um, mm. to our clients or to patients as an actual treatment, you know, a release. And so that is so important. Okay, without too much judgment or thought, three things that have brought you joy today. Oh, uh, okay. They can be anything, right? Like just... Yeah, anything. Uh, I think the first thing that brought me joy today was when I woke up, I realized I got a full eight hours of sleep and I have sleep issues. And I was like, oh my gosh, whenever I get a full eight hours, I am instantly joyful and so grateful. That was a great way to start, yes. start my day off. Um, another one is I feel like I had time today to, um, I'm doing something called the artist way. I don't know if you've ever, Oh yeah. 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 And I had time to really sit and do my morning pages and do the full thing. And so that's always a gift when I have time to do that. And so random, but my birthday is this weekend and, um, my boyfriend got me, got us tickets to go like sledding up North and it was a surprise and it was, I was very excited about it. (laughs) 
That's so cool. Um, actually, the artist way has definitely been a a number of guests on the show have have actually talked about that being one of the books that have changed their lives. Oh so. yeah, I'm only on week four of like the twelve weeks, but I'm sure by the time I get to the end, it will be. It's I, I'm absolutely loving the journey. It is so transformative. Okay. So jumping in, I have so many questions for you, mostly surrounding mental health, partly because hello, that's what this podcast <laughs> is about, but also yeah. because you've you've done a tremendous amount of work within mental health at such a young age. So of course, I want to talk to you about all that, but maybe an obvious question, but what was it like for you and again, with really looking at the lens of mental health, growing up in like a super Hollywood environment, I, I, people may know, not know, you have a pretty um, talented and famous father. And so, you know, oftentimes I think that a lot comes with that. It's a mixed mm-hmm. bag. And so how do you think being raised in that and then however you were raised, because we actually don't know, but how has your childhood and being exposed to Hollywood and celebrity culture and fame sort of impacted your mental health? Yeah. Great question. My dad is um, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's an actor. He's a singer. He's a, com- a comedian. He does it all. And I'm very blessed because I work with him a lot and I, I, we have such a great relationship, but I'm really thankful to my parents because they really prioritized having as normal of a life as possible and being like, yes, every now and again, you go to one of your dad's premieres, but like, that's not real life his close network of friends aren't celebrities. They're like, you know, people I call my uncles, but like his childhood best friends. And so I wasn't, I don't feel like I was like raised in Hollywood. There wasn't like paparazzi following me growing up or anything. I will say though, I always felt like I had eyes on me. I always felt like people were looking to find reasons to say I was bratty or stuck up. And so I really fought against that most of my childhood. And I was like, I am sweet. I am polite. And I, and I, like I said, I was really boring in, in my teenagehood because I never wanted to mess up. I was like, people are already waiting for me to be some tragic, you know, celebrity kid story. And like, I'm going to fight against that in so many. Wow. That's, pretty interesting. That's like motivating, but at the same time, it's a lot of pressure. So much pressure. Oh my gosh. I've had to now unlearn all of that now in my, um, in therapy. And I would say I suffer from like perfectionism because I don't want to mess up because I feel like people are expecting me to. So I've had to unlearn that and give myself space to just be a normal human being. Yeah. With all the feelings and being able to make mistakes. And oftentimes we've talked about the idea of perfectionism and learning from mistakes on this podcast too. And so much of the neuro literature actually states that like the way we learn the most potently with our brains is through mistake. Mm -hmm. And so just like you know, your experience is like a heightened level of it with with feeling like the eyes on you all the time. But we really do belong to this society and culture where mistakes are sort of not allowed. And yeah. it's such it's it's actually something that robs us from the most potent form of learning, which is through mistake. And so I think that that is so interesting and and so much pressure, I'm sure. And I'm really proud of you for all the unpacking and unlearning and and the work that you're doing. Um, because that's a lot. That's a lot. But also like interesting that that you flipped it in that way. You know, sometimes people look at that pressure and they kind of just self 
prophesize it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just going to do that Mm -hmm. because if that's what everyone's expecting me to do, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And other times in your case, it's like, I'm going to make sure I never do that and, and sort of really... It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's so, an interesting type of rebellion. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that seems like a, a really good sort of segue into your relationship with mental health. And so I know that you've done a lot of work and I actually really want to focus on that a lot because it's, it's pretty impressive. And you work with, you know, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is uh, like NAMI, which is yeah. huge and something that, of course, I'm always trying to help with like that organization is is amazing within mental health and so really like fast forward to that like what would you say Corinne's relationship with mental health is and how did that get highlighted for you and become something in the forefront that was really important to you yeah well i was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when i was 14 and at the time, when was that? Who knows? 2008. At the time, there wasn't a conversation for mental health like there is now. So I felt super isolated, super alone. I didn't want any of my friends knowing. Um, and but, but like I said, it was very determined. I was a go-getter. I was like, I am not going to let this anxiety disorder get the best of me. And so I was in therapy. I had the same therapist today that I had when I was 14. <laughs> So 12 years later, and I went to therapy and I've, I've learned all these tools and I have a toolkit. So when I, when I got older and actually NAMI reached out to me to just do some type of campaign to support them, I was like, Hey guys, I want to support you, but I have an anxiety disorder. Like I can, I can partner with you in a real way. And it was really scary because again, at the time there was no conversation for mental health. Self-care wasn't a word. Wellness wasn't a word people were using. And the first thing I did with NAMI is I wrote an article for Refinery29 about my journey with anxiety and all the tools that I've developed over these, I think at the time it was like 10 years. And the night before it went out, I was so scared. I was like, people are going to call me the C word, which is crazy. Um, they're going to you know, think I'm unhinged because I have some anxiety disorder. And the article went live in partnership with NAMI. And I got flooded with people reaching out, people that were close to me, people I knew that were like, I'm suffering from depression. Thank you for coming out and saying that you're dealing with this. Thank you for showing me your tools in your your toolkit. And then once that happened, I was like, oh, people are craving this conversation. And then since then, that was probably four years ago, you know, the mental health conversation has exploded, not because of me, but just because that's where the narrative has shifted to. And, and I've done so many activations with NAMI. We, we lobbied Congress together. Like I am their ride or die. They know they can call me for anything. And yeah, it's been a really, a really interesting journey. You know, being a young person and suffering a lot of times silently Mm -hmm. with anxiety, can you share a little bit about what that experience was like pre-getting sort of quote-unquote diagnosed or pre-getting help for it? And why did you? Like, was there a certain experience? Was it really tangible? Did you have panic attacks? Like, what did your anxiety look like? And how, how was your like help journey? Yeah, it honestly started in my ninth grade English class. And I noticed when, you know, you go around and turns to who's going to read out loud and you kind of start counting like what paragraph am I going to read out loud? But I was feeling so nervous for it that it was like my palms were sweaty. My heart was beating out of my chest. And then it got to a point where my anxiety was getting so bad. I didn't want to go to school. And I, and it, and it, 
it rings something in my head where I was like, this isn't normal. And so mm-hmm. I reached out to my parents. And then that's when I started going to my therapist who I still have today, who is, I'm very, very close to her. But yeah, it was really isolating and I felt super different. I also have panic disorder as well. And so I've had so many panic attacks at school and I don't really suffer from them anymore, but still, you know, every now and again, I'll I'll have a panic attack. And it, it is a really isolating experience. And I feel like the more you talk about it, you realize how many other people have went through this, are going through this. And so I just feel like being as transparent about your own journey as possible is is actually like one of the best ways I feel like to get people into treatment, you know? Absolutely. I say this all the time, but destigmatizing mm-hmm. mental illness is such a big deal. And people ask all the time, like, how can I add to that fight? Like, how can I help destigmatize mental illness? And really like, the biggest barrier to treatment is the stigmatization. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these different types of experiences that we go through, there is there is evidence-based science that actually there's treatments, there's things that can do, talk therapy like you, the mm-hmm. toolbox and, and all of that. But unfortunately, the majority of people don't seek out help because of their fear of shame. And people always ask, well, how can I help? And, and literally like the most potent way to help is, is to share transparently to with your own it. experience, is to talk about it, just like with your own network just to talk about it. And so I know it can be so scary and like how amazing that you literally went, you didn't just talk about it with your community, but when you came out with it, you came out with it on a platform like Refinery29, which is also like really targeting the right demographic of, of people, that age of you know, people that are going through the same thing that are too scared to say it. And so I think that's so powerful. Today's episode of Looking Up is brought to you by Murad Skincare. Murad Skincare, founded by Dr. Harold Murad, was founded in 1989 and has been a leader in the high-performance science-driven skincare industry. Besides being rooted in skincare that meets the meticulous standards for safety, efficacy, and care, this skincare line is all about treating and supporting the whole person. Dr. Murad has spent his entire career committed to helping people conquer the stressors of modern living and connected to the relationship of health, happiness, and whole body wellness, inclusive of skincare. I've been a longtime user of this brand, and I'm a fan of their newest product, the Vita-C Triple Exfoliating Facial. It is clinically proven to smooth texture, increase brighter skin, minimize pores, and decrease the visibility of dark spots. It's also proven to be as effective as a microdermabrasion facial, all from your own shower. While we have all been spending much more time at home and figuring out how we can effectively and efficiently up-level our routines, I have found this product to be pretty stellar. I love that it literally changes color from orange to white for effective and gentle exfoliation. And when the color changes, you know it's time to stop scrubbing. No guessing here. The Vita-C Triple Exfoliating Facial is now available on Murad.com, along with their complete collection, which caters to a variety of skin solutions to meet whatever your personal need is. You can even take Murad's skin quiz at Murad.com slash skin dash quiz to find the very best regimen for you. 
New customers to Mirad.com can receive 20% off their first order. To learn more and stay up to date with the brand, visit www.murad.com. That's www.murad.com. Or follow the brand on Instagram at Murad Skincare. Can you share with us a little bit? I'm, I'm interested to know, this is actually one of my favorite questions because everyone's toolbox is so different, but what are some of the things that you've learned and have sort of put in your toolbox that you know you can count on your own resources? What are some of the things that you do on an everyday level to keep your anxiety at bay? Yeah, I literally have this as a note in my phone in case I ever am like really deep in my anxiety and like forget it all. I'm like, I I don't remember it all of a sudden. Um, So I keep it as a note in my phone and I've shared it so many times, but I mean, there's, is like a routine and I have to keep up on it. And when one thing slips, I'm like, I can feel it. So a lot of it is like regular exercise, you know, getting those eight hours of sleep. That's why I'm like, it brought me joy when I don't get eight hours, my anxiety is higher. I can feel it going to regular therapy, socializing with friends, even on, on my list is like creative outlets. And like, I'm a writer and an actor and I have to be doing those things or else I can feel it builds up in me. And so I would say, I know it's so annoying and I hate when people like just say, go, go run outside, but it really does. And you know, like changes your brain. And the big one for me, the number one thing that I think like saved me was meditation. When I started meditating, I literally felt my brain change. Has your meditation practice changed and evolved over time or have you always had sort of a very specific meditative ritual that you carry out and that works for you? And and can you kind of share what that is? Yeah. I started learning meditation through Headspace, the app. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was. I thought it meant that you were like levitating in your (laughs) living room. I was like, what is this? I had no previous, my parents never did it. (laughs) I was like, what is this? So I just did the 10 minutes on Headspace and I was like, and I started feeling better. And then now my meditation is like 45 minutes and there's ohm chanting and there's, you know, it gets really woo woo in there. But I honestly think that if you just sit for 10 minutes, five minutes and focus on your breath, it gives you skills. Like I have panic disorder. So if I feel panicky and I, but now I know how to focus on my breath, like I can reduce that from becoming a full-blown panic attack. That's such an interesting point that you made earlier about keeping sort of your tool list in your phone. Mm -hmm. That's something that I talk a lot about with my clients where people are like, but I know what they are. So there's, you know, no big deal. But when you're literally in the moment that Mm -hmm. you need it the most. You cannot remember it at all. You cannot. (laughs) Yeah. 12 years of like of tools. I don't remember one of them. Yeah, exactly. And everyone has what works for them. And I would definitely urge everyone to kind of have fun with it when you don't need it to try out things that bring you joy and that calm you and that lower your heart. Although sometimes exercise helps people by increasing their heart, but whatever that is, finding out what that is and writing them down. And oftentimes people always say, you know, talk about resolutions and we're at, we're at the top of this new year. Yeah. I always like to sort of direct people back to two things more so at the beginning of the year. And one of those things is looking back at all the things you've overcome in the past year. So really like focusing on the strengths and, and your resiliency and what you've overcome rather than sort of shooting forward with some big lofty goals. And then the second thing is like doing a little sweep of like, what are the things that you ritualize and what's in your toolbox? Like, what are these things? Are they still working for you? Do you need to change them around? Do you want to add something? Do you want to take it out and sort of like 
keeping it in your phone is such a simple way to to know that it's there. It's like when you have a little notes in your phone of your passwords, yeah. you know, or this is like your get me out of anxiety <laughs> card. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think that's so key. And I know for me, you hit on a couple that are part of my toolbox as well. And for me, sleep is so key. Yeah. It's so key. People ask me all the time, like, what is like the magic pill to happiness? Like, come on, you research optimism and joy and, and the science behind it. Come on, just give me like, what's the one thing? And I'm always like, so so sorry to disappoint and say, well, you know, this type of thing, there really isn't a magic pill. But if there's one thing that actually comes close is getting good quality sleep. Sleep and mental health go so hand in hand. And Mm -hmm. some people, you know, you need a different amount. Like my husband needs less sleep than I do. And he's more like his routine. Like he's a routine guy. Like if he wakes up and does his workout and gets his coffee and like does his morning routine, he's pretty sure set to be able to deal with anything that the day throws him. For me, if I don't get the proper amount of sleep, I would have to give up something in my morning routine to get more sleep to Mm -hmm. have a better day. And so like, you know, it works differently. But for me, I like, that's my number one thing. Like if I lose even an hour of normal sleep for myself, I can't deal with things as well. Oh yeah. And it's immediate for me. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. When I woke up this morning and I had eight hours, I immediately knew I was like, I'm good for this day. Like I'm good for today. You were saying that, you know, it is such an individual thing. And I really advocate for trial and error. Like you were saying, when you're not, when you don't need it in this moment, because I've tried so many things that don't work for me. Like I've done hypnotherapy. I've done all these, you know, weird things just to kind of see what sticks. And so um, I think people get discouraged if they, you know, go to one therapist, it doesn't work out. Well, all therapists are, you know, don't work for me. And I think I really feel the need to encourage people for a little trial and error with this. When you're trial and erroring with this, what's one thing that surprised you that you really wanted to work and have it be your thing, but it just wasn't? This is something I still want to be my thing. And I don't know if it's working or not, but I still do it. I love acupuncture and I go and I love my guy who does it, but like, I can't pinpoint and say, literally pinpoint and say if it's (laughs) working or not, like, I don't really know, but I'm like in my head, I'm like, I just like the time to just like lay there for 20 minutes. So maybe that's just enough, but that's something that is part of my self-care routine that I'm still not sure if it's fully working yet. It also might take time. I don't know. I love that you brought that up. My like two things that I just want so badly to be my thing. And and maybe I, I don't personally think I've tried it enough. It's like, when you're in a relationship and you really want it to work, but it's just not so easily working, but Mm -hmm. you want it to work. Yeah. Um, That to me is acupuncture and yoga. Like I just really want them both. Like I want to be, I want those in my life like all the time. And I like know the science behind it too. And just like anecdotal evidence from people I respect and admire so much. And, and like just, I, all of it seems like, (laughs) and it appears like it would just be life-changing for me, acupuncture, yoga, and drinking more water are the things that I just like, I can't get myself to go around. I think like the acupuncture thing for me is because I totally have a fear of needles. I don't like needles. Oh yeah, that's tough then, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to ask people what works, but also like what hasn't worked because I think that helps people. You know, what's trendy and out there and what people are doing is not always 
what's best for you. And it could be something totally random that's good for you. And if it doesn't hurt someone else and it brings you joy and comfort, then like go for it. Yeah, just try it. And I totally feel you on yoga. I've dedicated myself twice a week to it, but I'm still like, I know downward dog is supposed to be the resting position, but it is hard for me every time. And I'm like, me too. You know why? Because I get really dizzy. Oh, you get dizzy. My, I I just have no upper arm strength. At all. Oh, okay. When I do downward dog, like all the blood rushes to my head. I get super dizzy and like, I, I seriously feel like I'm going to faint. So I just like go into child's pose. Yeah, I do the same thing. And I'm like, everyone thinks I'm so lame right now. <laughs> okay. So before I ask you a couple of questions about these really interesting projects that you're working on in your own podcast, I just wanted to go back to, you know, you talked about this idea that it may appear to many people that you are super confident and you kind of have everything together and you're really extroverted and and outgoing, but you know, you absolutely experience self-doubt. And so I'm wondering if you can, I don't know, give us an example of when your self-doubt was like really high and really intense and, and how you got through it. Yeah. I mean, I can give you so many examples. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> for example, I flew to Milan by myself to be in a fashion show. And I feel like outwardly, you'd be like, that's really cool. Good for Corinne. And I walked in this, um, in the Dolce & Gabbana show by myself. Wow. I was scared shitless. I was scared shitless on the plane by myself, in the hotel room by myself, walking around Milan by myself before I went on stage. Like every single part of that was terrifying. And, you know, it's probably part of my responsibility to be more transparent about my experience. But I would imagine if you were to look at my Instagram and you just see the picture of me on stage, you'd be like, wow, like good for her. When I'm like, that whole experience was terrifying. I did it anyways. But yeah, I feel like- How did you push forward? Was there a lot of self-talk? There's a lot of self-talk. There's also a lot of like, I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you have to figure out a way to cope when it's it's work. You know, I'm like, I have to go here for work. I'm scared. And I think it's also a learned behavior from a young age when I got that diagnosis of anxiety. And I immediately was like, this isn't going to stop me from living my life. I knew I was going to be more scared to do most things because I have this disorder. So I've just learned to live with it. And I was like, this is just how I feel all the time. But I got to keep doing the things I need to do, you know? So that's just one example of many things that I, that I have done or do where I'm sure the Instagram posts, just, you just see the end result, but you don't see all of the self-talk and all of the sleepless nights that lead up to that. Was the actual in the moment walking down enjoyable? Oh my gosh. It is everything leaves you. Your body does so many things. And you probably know this, like you get all worked up. And then when it's actually go time, it leaves you all of a sudden. Also the walk is 30 seconds. I don't know. You know, you spend days leading up to this one thing. It's so fast. You blink your eyes. You're like, oh, it's it's over. Okay. (laughs) There was a big lead up to, I mean, it's amazing, but also not nearly as terrifying as I thought it was going to be. That's so cool. At first thought, like when you started to explain that, that was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like how much fun that must have been and how exciting going on the plane and like I'm going to a fashion show and walk. I mean, I have no idea what that would even feel like or I can't even fathom that. But then you're so right. I can absolutely see the 
immense amount of pressure and anxiety and fear that can lead up to something like that. But how cool that you pushed through it and actually enjoyed the moment. And I think that is part of your resiliency journey so that the next time that happens, you can play back the experience and be like, and remember, and I pushed through it and it was okay. And it was more than okay. It was super enjoyable. And now it's something that is a positive memory for you. Yeah, no, it totally is a positive memory for me. I think that's why I answered that question in that way. Cause I'm like, I feel like there's so many steps to these things that we achieve that we don't talk about all of the feelings that come along with creating something or or being a part of something or even like, you know, selling your brand, all of that stuff. Like there's so much self-doubt in all of these things that we do that I I just feel like I need to be more transparent about probably. Well, I think you're doing a really good job. (laughs) Okay. Tell me a little bit about your podcast, which I uh, had the pleasure of guesting on. It's called, Am I Doing This Right? Which kind of goes hand in hand with everything we're talking about right now. Yeah, we're super excited about your episode. Um, But yeah, it's called Am I Doing This Right? It's a life how-to podcast, kind of from the perspective of non-experts. So it's me and my best friend. We felt like when we entered adulthood, there was all these things that we didn't know how to do, like, you know, filing our tax return or like, (laughs) you know, all these things that you're not taught in school. We actually just did an episode on health insurance and they're, they're kind of like boring topics. So we drink wine during it and we kind of make it feel like it's like girls at drinks as opposed to like a Ted talk. I'm like, this is how you do it. But we hope that it's kind of a guidebook for like young people on, on adulthood and all these things that you call your mom asking like, mom, I don't know. Like, can I put this in the microwave? Like, uh," you know, all these things that you, we don't really get handed a guidebook on that we wanted to kind of chronicle in in our podcast. And, And you come on, you talk about optimism, which is something that we all have to develop in our adulthood, especially during these times. And so you were a very fitting guest. Well, I had a lot of fun. I love that topic that you guys are tackling. It's so true. There's so many things we do not know. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't, we don't know, know and like do right. you think you're supposed to know, and then you right. get there and you're like, huh? And so we we break it down. We do a lot of research on our podcast because we honestly don't know any of these things. I love that. And then I really want to talk to you about your. I know you're an actor, yeah. but also you are a producer now. Yes. And you are about to launch a show on Netflix, right? Yes. I have a show coming out on Netflix that I am the executive producer for. That's Um, huge. You're the youngest producer on the show, right? Yes. I was the youngest and the only female producer. Wow. That's so cool. And are you working with your dad on this show? Yes. So my dad, it's my dad's dad's return to comedy. He hasn't been on a sitcom in I think 20 years. I grew up with him on the Jamie Foxx show. That's where I'd go to see him at work. He obviously does a lot of dramas. He hasn't done a comedy in a long time. And so the show is called Dad Stop Embarrassing Me. And it is is my literal diary. All these stories we have of my, my dad is a flamboyant, big personality guy. And like I said, I'm introverted. And so we had all these moments of contention in our, in my teenagehood, him embarrassing me, him doing too much. And we literally wrote episodes. We casted a, this amazing actress, Kyla Drew to play a younger version of me. It's not my name, but it's me. And yeah, it's just like, all the times my dad embarrassed me growing up are oh my god on TV. I it's my literal so relate. on TV. <laughs> That's so cool. I can so relate. I, I have very like distinct memories of hiding under tables while my dad was dancing on them. Yes, yes. Um, exactly. Or like 
one of my first trips to Disneyland and he just was belting out zippity doodah in like not the right key. And like he, a bunch of people crowded around and started like throwing money, like as if he he was just, it was with my friends and Mm -hmm. was so embarrassing. But then like now in retrospect, like made my childhood so fun. Yes. That's what I'm like. This is so, so full full circle because in the moment when you're really a teenager and this is happening to you, you're actually like, this is the end of the world. You're and actually then, mortified. Oh yeah. yeah. Like it's not a joke. It's not like a funny thing. You're yeah. actually mortified. And so for me to be like <laughs> 10 years out of it, I'm 27 now. Like I can look back and obviously we laugh and there's fond memories and it really just made us closer. But at the time, oh my gosh, I was like, dad, are you kidding me? Like, please just blend in. Please just show up at my school in a minivan and, you know, a cardigan and like, just be, I don't want anyone to see you ever. Just go away. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. Last question for you. What is looking up for you? What are you most excited about? Mm -hmm. um, And what brings you hope right now? Ooh, what am I excited about? I think what gives me hope, honestly, I have two sisters who are 12 and 13 and their generation, Gen Z, they are super woke, super mobilized. um, (laughs) And I just love where their head's at. They're way more aware of like social issues than I was at their age. I was like obsessed with the Jonas Brothers. That was the only thing I cared (laughs) about. And they're like, you know, wanting to march and things. I was like, oh my God, I was not doing this at all. So I think they, this next generation really gives me hope. And I'm really excited to see like, you know, all the change that they're going to bring. I think what's looking up for me is like you just said, kind of just naturally falling into a new role and being an EP. And, and I'm actually producing a couple of other things at different companies. And I'm just excited to see what this next career chapter is for me and what that looks like. That's so cool. Um, I actually am, I partnered with Colgate this past year on their inaugural optimism project. And it was really focused on helping to inspire Gen Z and take their ideas and make the world a more optimistic place and and sort of give them some coaching. They picked a certain cohort of people that applied for it with their ideas. And they did a huge research study and Gen Z is so inspiring. Exactly what you said. They're so mobilized. Mm -hmm. They're, They're so focused and super altruistic Mm -hmm. and even idealistic, but they have like real plans and they take action. And actually like what's super cool is Gen Z actually is kind of known as the most pessimistic of the generations. But actually after the pandemic, which is so interesting, their optimism levels increased. And not only that, but they actually are one of the only generations that actually feels that optimism is a choice and they are ready to make it. And so it's so, it's so interesting that I totally agree with you. So the last thing that we do on looking up is if we were together, which hopefully one day we will be. Yes. Yes. We have to. Um, Yes, we will. I'm optimistic about it. (laughs) You would have picked a card from my things are looking up optimism deck of cards, but since we aren't, I'm going to pick a card at random for you. And it's going to be basically your homework for today. It's a a prompt. Okay. Okay. So here we go. 
Oh, this is so this is so on point to everything we're talking about. Okay. Name one thing that makes you feel happy, relaxed, and calm. Maybe it's a bath, a massage, a glass of wine, a cup of tea, a walk, being with your pet, or being with someone you love. Maybe it's singing your favorite song super loudly in your car. Whatever it is, do it. Do it today. It's not selfish to practice self-care. It's actually a form of positive survival. It's incredibly intelligent and a step towards optimal living. So go on and take one for your own team. Ooh. So I already know just, what I'm doing. Oh, what are you doing? My like daily walk is like my my time. And I didn't do it this morning because I got those eight hours. I slept in and I had to go to a meeting. And so I think right before the sun sets, I'm now I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go on my walk. Me too, actually. <laughs> I think I'm gonna do the same thing at the same time because that is what I need in my life too. Whenever I feel completely out of whack, which by the way, is pretty much almost every day right now, uh, being yeah. during this time with two small babies oh, and working full time, every day feels like that. But if I can just get like a two minute, even just walk or just just a breath of fresh air, it it actually so helps. It sounds like the most simple thing and it is, but- Yeah, it, especially I don't realize how much time I spend inside and I'm like- this Yes, is so none not, of us do. This is so not normal or like, you know, healthy for like a human being. And so my walks are, are so intentional. I'm like, I have to go outside today. <laughs> the research says that just spending two hours on average per week outdoors mm. really helps with mood boosting and lowering stress hormones, et cetera. And so that's that's like barely anything. So yeah. anyways, enjoy your walk. It was so good to catch up with you. Yes. And thank you for being so transparent and all the work you're doing to help destigmatize mental health. And I cannot wait to see your show with your dad. Oh, thank you so much. This is such a great platform that you have. And I love everything you're about. And I'm sure we will connect again soon. Absolutely. So good to see you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info on how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.